サーチライト作動テスト Welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 503. And I'm here once again, not only to help you have the best vacation experience when you go to the parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with the podcast, my videos, blog, live broadcasts on Facebook every Wednesday night, books, audio tours, special group events, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So, I don't want to give too much away, but I can tell you right from the outset that Tokyo Disney Sea became my favorite Disney park anywhere not very long after I first stepped through its gates. How do I love the let me count the ways, but I am getting ahead of myself because this week we're going to take a close, in depth, and oh so very delicious trip. To both Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea, as we recap our recent visit, share a first timer's guide to the Tokyo Disney parks, and more as we take you through sort of the, the best of the best of the Tokyo Disney parks. We're also going to explain why we have to go back, when, and how you can join us when we do. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information about upcoming WDW Radio Meets of the Month, including during Marathon Weekend in January, your voicemails, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. show I've waited 30 years to do. And that's funny because it's almost kind of true, uh, even though I've only been doing the show for about 12. And why do I say that? Because when Tokyo Disneyland opened in 1983, I knew right away it was a place I didn't just want to visit, but had to. 
Uh, I have been enthusiastic about the Japanese culture since I was a kid. Uh, I think I fed that need by actually studying Japanese martial arts for a long time. And I always knew that someday I was going to visit Japan. And when Tokyo Disneyland and then Sea opened, I knew that my dream of visiting had yet another puzzle piece in place. I just didn't know it was going to be so relatively soon. Back in September, we took our Adventures by Disney to Shanghai, and our feeling was, when Becky and I were chatting, was, well, it's like, Tokyo's like right across the street, so we might as well just go. And by right across the street, I mean on that side of the planet. And Becky Mankin from Mouse Fan Travel does, in fact, make dreams come true. Uh, It was not part of our uh, Adventures by Disney trip, but there were a few others that shared that same desire and sentiment and decided after the adventure was over to hop on over to Tokyo as, there, as well. Uh, we were there only a few days. I can tell you, even before we get started, it wasn't nearly enough. But I want to share our experiences with you in a way that's not meant to be <clears throat> excuse me, an all-encompassing guide, but really sort of highlights from our visit, because otherwise this would be a four-part, nine-hour show. And really sort of talk about an overall view of the parks, the design, the attractions, the cast members, the food, the culture, the food, the merchandise, dining, snacks, and of course, the food. And joining me are friends and traveling companions, not just on the Adventures by Disney, but to Tokyo as well. Of course, Becky Mankin from MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. Well, hello there. And you know where I got my love for Japan? Do you care? Yeah, just, I, I just, do just care. Just curious. Uh, my uh, my Kill- pause is a little bit of fear, but go ahead. And, and it should be because it was from Kill Bill. I really love oh, that movie. And see, and that's the whole you went Uma for. Thurman thing. What? It was a great movie. That's great. All right, I, lo- I <laughs> loved it way before then. I'm kidding, but that was you know it, it was a good movie. Moving on. Well, also <laughs> joining me, um, who I think probably loves Japan for more than just the Uma Thurman film, is longtime <laughs> friend, member of. Can't believe that's where you went. Member of the WWE Radio Running Team and the WWE Radio Nation, she is Mrs. Katie Kuhn. Katie, it is so good to have you. Hi, Lou. Hi, Becky. Thanks for having me on. So excited to talk about Tokyo Disney Resort. I am as well. And, you know, we, we were talking beforehand. We really can't make this uh, a quote-unquote trip report or all-encompassing review because there is so much to cover. And I couldn't even sort of term this into like a, a guide to Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea because of just how long it would be. So I thought maybe what we would do is cover, cover some of the relative basics about our experience, but really maybe do a best of the best of Tokyo Disneyland and Disney Sea while we touch on things like the attractions, the dining, the characters, the merchandise, and, and some reasons why we went and why I think other people should go. And I think maybe that's a good place to start because, as I said in the intro, this has been a long time bucket list item for me. And when I got there, I have to tell you, and I think I told you this while we were there, I had zero clue as to what to expect. And when I say no clue, I mean I did no research. I watched no videos. I looked. At, I didn't even look at a map of the park because I've said for years on the show that I've always wa- I want to see these things with my own eyes first. So maybe Katie and then Becky, what type of of preparations before you went to Tokyo did you take? Whether it's visiting the country of Japan itself or specifically the parks. 
So this was my first time to Japan and both of the parks. And similarly, I didn't want to know too much, but I did do some research. I did enough research to know what were the most important things I wanted to see and the tips for how to see the most while I was there. And then I've also heard that there's actually quite a bit of etiquette in the park. So I made sure that I knew about that. And for me, I wanted to do what, what you did, Lou. I wanted to come at it with no information. I wanted to stumble into it. I wanted to explore and discover without having too much information, much like we did with, uh, with Hong Kong and Shanghai. I didn't want to look anything online. I didn't want to um, understand. I, I didn't want to have anything that was pulling me to anything in, in particular. I just wanted to walk in and discover it from the moment that that I put my foot on property. And uh, it, for being a planner, that was probably one of the most <laughs> uncomfortable things. But yet, one of the most fun things about um, about the process too is just knowing we had a, a place to stay and we had park tickets and figured out when we got there, which I, I thought was actually pretty adventurous and, and very cool. Yeah. You were definitely out of your comfort zone, Yeah, <laughs> which was very interesting to see as your, as your traveling companion, but I loved it. Like I, I loved sort of going in blind because I think we go to world and land, even cruise line so relatively much that we almost don't have that experience anymore. And you look, we talked about this on our China recap. You know, you really had the sense to a certain degree of being a stranger in a strange land where it's not just the language that is foreign to you. But like you said, Katie, you know, customs are different. And, you know, even from the, the time that we got to the airport and we're checking in, there was a very, very different experience, I think, for all of us. And, and sort of maybe let's start with the resort itself, because that really was our initial touch point. I think for the the Disney portion of your trip, Katie, I know you uh, visited Tokyo beforehand. I'm incredibly envious and jealous, and that's a conversation I want to have with you offline about your experience there. But just sort of from a, a 30,000 foot view, the resort system in Tokyo basically sort of falls into three categories. There's the Disney resorts that are on site. There's sort of the partner, quote-unquote, official resorts, and then you have the option to stay off-site. And the Disney hotels include the Ambassador, the Tokyo Disney Celebration Hotel, the Tokyo Disneyland Hotel, and the hotel that we all stayed at, which was the, and you can hear the angels sing as I say this, the Hotel Miracosta, uh, which I, I think we wow. all, yeah, there was a definite yeah. wow moment when you stepped foot into that resort. So uh, Becky and then Katie... Give me your initial impressions of that resort. And for those of you who don't know, the Hotel Miracosta, I think you can uh, you can probably easily argue, is the um, the most deluxe of the deluxe resorts are there. It, it does carry a, um, a premium with it. Um, it is on the monorail loop. But more importantly, this hotel is in Disney Sea. Like you walk out of the the sort of downstairs lobby area and you are right in Disney Sea. Uh, I will only preface whatever you're going to say by saying this is arguably the best resort I have ever stayed at on the planet. Uh, that's how much I loved it. it. It was really amazing. And I don't know what I had. My expectation level, you know, my, it was kind of high. But when you walked in there and 
the moment you walk through the doors or actually when you were greeted right up front, uh, you walk into those doors and you've got that just huge compass rose on the floor made of marble. And in the middle was um, was a, a ship that was stunning. And the, the, the it was very elaborate. It felt really elaborate, but not so over the top that you felt out of place, you know? It uh, felt but elegant, it was but not stuffy. Elegant. Yeah, exactly. It, it it felt really incredibly comfortable, but yet it was it was such a wow. I, I remember just looking around and not being able to breathe for a couple of seconds because it so overdid my expectations. And one of the things I want to touch on that this is the place where I discovered this most. I, I walked into it with a expectation of and I was totally incorrect. I was thinking that we would have less English in China and more in Japan. When in fact, when we got to the hotel in Japan, hardly anybody spoke English. And when we went to check in, remember that that was more like a um, an exercise in pointing and smiling and and working your way through the conversation of check in. Luckily, we had a uh, a guide that was with us that spoke English and helped us through a few things. But it was such an amazing culture shock and stunning lobby and beautiful hotel right off the bat when you walk into the the lobby it was just amazing Can and the other thing, i the other thing i noticed in the lobby is above where becky described there were portraits of women in each land from tokyo disney sea so there was there was tie-in from tokyo disney sea into the Miracosta besides the obvious element, which is that it makes up a good portion of the Mediterranean Harbor land. And I agree that resort was absolutely stunning. I had the same expectation of language. I expected the Japanese to know more English than when we were in China, but all the cast members were incredibly helpful if they didn't speak English, they immediately found someone that spoke English if it was something that you couldn't handle um, with pointing. Yeah, I did find that there were some cast members that did. And then if they didn't, they really went out of the way to try and help you, whether it was a visually or getting somebody else that did. I found in the parks there were more cast members that spoke English than maybe when mm -hmm. we were initially checking in, but I never found the language to be a barrier or mm -mm. a hindrance or wow. something that I feared. I think in yeah, China, I was almost more feel, fearful of the language than I was when I got to Tokyo. The other thing, too, that struck me about the resort, even from the time that you checked in, then once you got to your room, was there is that sense of warmth and elegance and everything else about that resort, but there's still a little bit of whimsy and a little bit of Disney on Very top playful. of it. It reminded me almost a little bit of Aulani, where it's not sort of like walking into, you know, art of animation where it's just Disney all over, but the touches are beautiful and subtle and elegant both throughout the lobby. And then the rooms I thought were remarkable. I thought the rooms were absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Can we just talk about those rooms for a second? Because <laughs> that, there was just another piece of being blown away. And uh, for a great example is we booked um, just standard view, bottom of the line room. And so I wasn't, ex my ex again, my expectations weren't 
you know, that over the top. When you walk into this room, it was so elegant again. And I think that piece that you just hit on was really important. It's playful. Yeah. Within the elegance, there there's there's characters that are woven in, and it's all so well themed around that Mediterranean feel. And and of course, the outside of the resort is beautiful as well. It's uh, it looks like an Italian village, um, and it's lit so beautifully at night. But in the rooms, all the way from the uh, above where it had the mural in the ceiling uh, to the uh, to the toiletries that had the Mickey ears, little gold Mickey ears on them. I don't know how many of those tins that you guys got, <laughs> but every, every day they delivered this little tin that has the, some toiletries in it, like the, um, like cotton swabs and that type of thing. And if you took it and put it away, they would give you a new one. <laughs> so <laughs> you ended up with a whole bunch of, of great, um, uh, souvenirs from, from the resort room, but the, the bedding was comfortable and the, um, the colors were really soothing and our standard view wasn't of a garbage can. Our standard view actually looked at the castle in, in Disneyland. So that was a surprise to me as well. Yeah. We sort of looked out the front to that beautiful sort of um, the, the, the fountain, fountain and the, the entrance way. I mean, look, everything about the resort was, like I said, I, I think it was, um, it was elegant, but not stuffy, if that makes any sense. And the room was incredibly warm. And we could certainly talk for, again, uh, at, at great length about uh, one of the things I loved about Asia were, oddly enough, the bathrooms. I love the wet room, sort of having the, the, the shower room and the, 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 the tub there. And then the, um, the toilets that had like 76 <laughs> buttons on them. You could launch a, a rocket ship from that toilet seat with no, all the buttons around that thing. So I took my phone and I used the Google Translate app and I held it over the uh, – Oh, no. Just to see what it would come back with. And looking at pictures now, um, it, it obviously wasn't perfect. It gave me everything from villas to video and I was afraid to hit the video button. Uh, so – not quite the souvenir that I'd want to go home no, with, really. <laughs> no, but like you, I did I did pack and bring home about 20 of those little tins. Um, As did I. <laughs> because those are, nice, well, easy, those are nice, easy souvenirs, right? <laughs> just just because we have to to just talk about the toilet one more time. It, it is it's was such a stark contrast from going from, from what China had, which was the squatty potty, to the uh, these elaborate... $10,000 toilet seats with 42 buttons on them. It was definitely a culture shock. And the other thing is, this wasn't just the toilets in the hotel room. They were like this throughout both parks. Yeah. And it was really entertaining the first time I went into one of the restrooms in the parks because there's also a privacy feature and it's motion detected. So when you walk by it in the stall, gentle music starts playing. <laughs> so, and this was every restroom in the park so yeah it was quite a difference from from the restroom experience in china and if yeah, you've and never been to asia you never if, for those of you who are listening we're going why are they talking about toilets you really need to see it and experience it to believe because the toilets are sort of like an attraction in and of themselves <laughs> so true and then remember in, in some of the stalls i don't know if you saw this katie but they also had um seats that you could put your kid in 
that yes. like folded down and you could put your toddler in it so that you could do whatever you needed to do because he needed both hands to run all the buttons on the toilet. And let's, wait, <laughs> let's be honest. Those seats are either for toddlers or your Duffy. Oh, but because okay. how, many people, how many people <laughs> did we see walking around carrying their Duffies and Shelly Mays? That's true. You wouldn't want to put Duffy on the floor. No, no. Nobody puts Duffy on the floor we, in listen, the corner we, or anywhere else. We were all in enough restaurants in Disney to see that Duffy and Shelly Mae and Gelatoni often got their own chair and or high chair at the dinner or breakfast table. So I think those those little uh, those seats in the stalls might be for the Duffies as well. Fair point. So let's go. And, and, and I, I want to sort of save um the the oh so grand and beautiful eight hundred pound Disney Sea gorilla for last, but I think it, it almost makes sense that because it opened up first back in nineteen eighty three, uh, that we hit Do- Tokyo Disneyland first in sort of our our recap. And you know, one of the things I, I noticed when I walked in, again, sort of from the thirty thousand foot view, is. This park, despite what you might read on the internet about crowds and things like that, this park still looks like it opened yesterday. And the the when I sort of looked at this park and, and wanted this park and then sort of stepped back and reflected on it, the, the seven lands of this park are familiar in many ways to a Walt Disney world or Disneyland magic kingdom. It has an adventure land. It has a fantasy land. It has a tomorrow land. That's where the similarities sort of end because there is no main street. There is a world, a covered world bazaar. There is Western land, which is sort of the old American frontier and a critter country like you have in Disneyland. But one of the things I felt it's sort of an overall view is not only is Tokyo Disneyland Park the biggest of the parks, right? So Disneyland's about 74 acres. Uh, Magic Kingdom Walt Disney World's about 106, 105. This is 114. So it is a big, wide-open park that's about to get bigger, I think, in 2020. The new section opens up. But I sort of felt that Tokyo Disneyland was, like this segment, the best of the best of attractions and lands and experiences from around the globe. Now, I haven't been to Paris as yet, but as I walked through, I felt as though, you know, Disney and and Oriental Land Company sort of picked out some of their favorites and then put a a little bit of an additional spin on it. So, so, uh, Katie, tell me first your sort of overall impression of Tokyo Disneyland. I completely agree. To me, it seems like they picked the best from Walt Disney World and Disneyland and then plussed those a little bit. And it is by far the cleanest parks. They're so well maintained. I think there are a lot of attractions that, like I said, are similar to what we have in the States, but they just seem brighter. I I, I understand what you mean. So so give an example of, of an attraction that we have in the the states disney world or disneyland and i think i know where you're going to go with this that you think is sort of a plussed up version in tokyo one example i would say is monsters inc ride and go seek and it reminded me a lot of the monsters ride at disney's california adventure 
but it had an interactive element where you use your flashlight to shine it on monsters in helmets that would trigger interactive elements. And it was really well done. And But the overall theme was really similar to the one in California with the dark ride, but it just seemed nicer, brighter, and then the interactive element. Becky, what about you? What were sort of your initial overall impressions of Disneyland Park? You know, I... I, I have that same feeling is it it seems like they took the best of the best from the other two parks from from world and land. For example, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is a, a really good example because it looked a lot like Disneyland's version. It has the restaurant when you first uh, come in and it does have some plussed up features through it. But it was you know, relatively much like the Disneyland version, which I know, don't email me, email Lou. Um, I feel is a better version than the one in Walt Disney World. Um, of course, it's hard to go see it after you've seen the one in Shanghai. I hesitate to say that. Um, one thing that I did find really interesting, though, was you know, the, the lack of the main street area, but to have that covered, which I actually liked that. There were some people who weren't as enthusiastic of, about having the covered area, but when it started pouring rain, that was very um, appreciated to be able to go from shop to shop and, and, and be totally covered. Uh, I did kind of enjoy that and all the things that they had, because remember we were there for Halloween. So all the Halloween stuff had started up. So there was a lot of things that were happening on that, that main area. Um, but one of the other ones that I found interesting was and I'm gonna let you elaborate on it further because I know that you want to go here. I'm still really blown away with the the poo yeah. adventure. Absolutely. Um, everybody had said, or or you had told me, Lou, we've we got to go on poo, and I'm like, what? <laughs> of all the things that you know, we had limited time in Disneyland because we had put a lot of focus on Disney Sea, and you said that's something we have to go do. We have to go do, and I just didn't. Oh, okay, fine, we'll go do that. I was blown away and wanted to go back on it again and would have gone back on it over and over and over if we had the time to do it because it was that good. Yeah, I mean, Pooh's Honey Hut is one of those that you probably say, well, it's probably just like the versions stateside and it's nothing like it. it. Right, it, yeah. it's it's a trackless dark ride. So if you think about something like if you've been to Mystic Manor, that same type of thing. But here... Uh, the and I don't want to spoil it again for anybody that potentially might go because I do want you to experience with your own eyes. But the the vehicles don't just move through the environments; they almost dance with each other, like they do in that one room at Mystic Manor. Um, the 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 scene where sort of that story time with Tigger and the Heffalump scene are markedly different than anything that you see here. I enjoyed it so much, I wanted to go back again and again, um, although we spent a, an inordinate amount of time in the wonderful gift shop that followed. But I was <laughs> like, of all the attractions in Tokyo Disneyland, far and away, Pooh's Honey Hut is the one that um, that stuck with me the most. Now, to be honest, we did not get a chance to experience everything. Uh, we did not get a chance. To, so, Katie, did you get to do... The Enchanted Tiki Room, which is the the Stitch, uh, the Aloha Ikomamai Tiki Room. I did, I did. And what you I think? thought it was, I thought it was well done. It was, 
I, to be completely honest, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And it had the overall theme from the tiki rooms that we're familiar with in the States. But it had, it was in Japanese and was interrupted by Stitch. He was up to a little mischief like you would expect him to be. But it had nods to some of the original songs that we're familiar with being in the tiki room. I thought it was well done. Yeah, we also did, uh, again, because we only had one day here because you need multiple days to do Disney Sea. Uh, Becky and I, we also did the, um, we rode the steamboat and we rode a few of the of the other attractions, which we have stateside. The, the one other thing that I, I noticed as I'm sort of going through in my mind's eye, I find myself recalling not necessarily the attractions per se but there was something else that we saw and you knew sooner or later this was going to go to food but this is more (laughs) of a go with me here because it's not about what I want to something that was and Becky I know you remarked about this as well it was not about the attraction itself but when we walked into some of the dining locations and the one that I mean specifically is that Mm -hmm. if you are a fan of Alice in Wonderland, you are going to love Tokyo Disneyland um, because there is a lot of influence there, not just in the attractions and the merchandise and the teapot vending machines, but if you go to the Queen of Hearts Banquet Hall, the outside is beautiful and the inside is amazing. It's almost an attraction because you sort of walk through the doorknob as you enter the restaurant and although it's a, a counter service almost like a buffet-style restaurant. Um, the venue itself is beautiful and so incredibly wealthy. Like, Becky hates counter service, and you actually wanted to eat there. Okay, the funny part I was going to say, we spent 30 minutes in there, and we didn't even <laughs> eat because we were too busy walking around it and looking at all the detail because all, all of the all the playing cards were life-size playing cards that were all around the, the room. Um it, remember the whole wall of stained glass that told the story through the stained glass right. and that stained glass was probably 20 feet high and another 40 feet long. It was just absolutely gorgeous. There was so much to see and soak up and look at. And of course you were trying to get me and the queen of hearts in the same picture at the same time, many <laughs> times that I, I have no idea how you even it's got like me trying to, to get Clark Kent and Superman in the, in the same picture. Really? Really? <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I walked right into that one, didn't I? Anyway, yeah, I, I mean, that was one of the things, though, about food in, in the Disneyland area. I'm going to just kind of go there all <laughs> completely now. Is it, it was almost like, and what we found this on both sides, is that it was like an attraction, food cart, food cart, food place, attraction. So there was more about the food and the popcorn and the little things that you could get more than it was the attractions throughout the parks. Listen, I will, I will certainly delve into the food topic in much greater depth, but I will tell you Tokyo Disneyland beat Lou Mangiello. And what I mean by that is I was on a culinary tour. So Becky, you know, from the time that we were in uh, Hong Kong and Shanghai to Disney Sea and I literally stopped at almost every food cart along the way, if not to get something, at least to see and sort of plan out my day. And there was a couple of times that there are so many food carts 
that I would have like the space churros from Tomorrowland in one hand, and then I'd have the little dumplings in the other, and then I'd hit another food cart, and I literally just ran out of hands and stomach space. So there was a point where there was, I think, two or three more types of popcorn that you said you wanted to try them all. And I said, OK, oh, my gosh, there's one more you haven't tried. And you looked at me like you were going to throw up and just said, this has beat me. I, I can't eat one more thing. And I have never heard you say that before. And going back and looking through my pictures the last couple of days uh, in, in preparation for this, I literally have like 75 to 100 pictures of you holding food, taking a selfie of you and your food at different locations, at, at different places. So I, I can't even see how you managed to eat as much as you did. There was so many great options and little finger foods everywhere and little things that you had to stop and try. Um, you know, hats off to you for accomplishing what you did. <laughs> well, so maybe let's just talk, and Katie, you too, about – the food as a whole, right? I mean, maybe this is a good point to, to, to sort of pause and talk about a couple of things from an overall perspective. And I, I think about food and merchandise. And we'll start here in Disneyland and then we'll, we'll make our way over to Disney Sea when we get there. Because those, those are two things that I found were very unique, especially to these parks. And we joke about the food, but the food, especially here in Disneyland, is plentiful. And as I'm taking a quick look at the map, look, World Bazaar, their, their sort of version of Main Street, has seven different restaurants or refreshment places to go to. Their Adventureland has 11. Their <laughs> wow. Westernland has seven. <laughs> Critter Country has two. Fantasyland has, it looks like, six. Toontown has six. And Tomorrowland has five. My math is awful, but that's a boatload of, of places to eat <laughs> and a wide variety of stuff, too. I, I know a lot of people going to a foreign country, especially someplace like Asia, you, there's a concern sometimes about the food. But the food ranged from rice bowls and Mickey-shaped sandwiches to a place to get pizza. There was a lot of Western food. Um, we'll talk about some of the different gyoza buns. Katie, just wait. We're getting to where we want to get. Don't worry. You know, I know where you, where you want to go. But so talk to me a little bit, Katie, about did you guys eat in Tokyo Disneyland or did you just sort of snack your way through? We ate a meal. We snacked. We had so much food. Most of my planning before going to Tokyo Disney surrounded food. And this is and why we're friends, just so you know. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, you, we usually joke about food being an attraction, but there is a popcorn flavor section on the park maps. So it genuinely is an attraction. Um, so I had a lot of snacks, a couple popcorn flavors. The most notorious for Tokyo Disneyland are the soy sauce and butter and the honey flavor outside of the poo attraction. And both of those were just incredibly delicious. I do want to give Critter Country some love for their food. The Alice restaurant gets a lot of attention, as it should. It's really well-themed. But I ate at Grandma Sarah's Kitchen, which has Japanese curries. But the theming is incredible. It is an extension of Critter Country and Splash Mountain. It's built to look like the outdoors. There's trees and a lot of wood. And there's all these little critter homes 
built into this restaurant. So it looks like it's inhabited by the critters of Splash Mountain. It was really well done and the food was delicious. Um, how did we now, miss that? Because, well, how did we miss that? <laughs> I'm not doing counter service again. No, oh, come on. <laughs> because we missed it because we were only there for one day. And we couldn't, obviously, with 50 some odd places to eat, we couldn't see and do it all. But, Katie, it's interesting because you either we are of the same mindset or you read my, my scratch notes because I had popcorn on my notes and it said so good and so important, it's literally on the map. And they have a popcorn flavor and location section on both the Disneyland and Disney Sea map. So in some of the flavors include soy sauce and butter. I'm with you on that one. Caramel, curry, which I loved. So Barbecue, good. Right? Barbecue, yep. honey, salt, and milk chocolate. So there are seven different popcorn flavors. And to be clear, wow. popcorn, it's a thing. It's a thing in the <laughs> Japanese parks. And what I mean yes. by that, half jokingly, is you have a you'll have an easier time getting on Pirates of the Caribbean than you might waiting in line for some of the popcorn because not only is the popcorn a bit of an attraction, but there are so many different themed popcorn buckets that you could not only carry, but you, you know, people wear them. I mean, for lack of a better term, they wear them almost like a necklace or a satchel or a purse. I have to admit to completely doing that. I got a Tron popcorn bucket when we were in Shanghai and I wore it proudly. I am totally bought into the popcorn trend. And one thing we should clarify is that there are some popcorn flavors that are specific to each park. So for Tokyo Disneyland, that's the only park you can get soy sauce and butter and the honey flavor. How did I miss how did I miss all the different flavors of popcorn? Uh, you got we, most of them, I think, didn't you? It'll be interesting to when we get to the end and we sort of recap. Okay. I'll be curious to hear how many days you think a visitor needs to spend <laughs> for the first time that they go to Tokyo Disneyland and Disney Sea. Save that Man. for for okay. later. Um, the other thing that we should note too is uh, merchandise in the parks. I found to be um, unique. And different. And again, there are the only thing that there's more of than restaurants are shops. And there's an interesting, not just display of merchandise, but selection of merchandise. And I think this is where it goes very much into some of the culture. And I think we saw some of those differences in Shanghai and certainly Hong Kong. But there's sort of two things that that I noticed about the merchandise in Japan. Well, three things. One, I didn't have enough room and needed to get an extra bag. But two, a lot of the gifts there, a lot of the souvenirs you can buy are very practical, right? Because the, the Japanese as a whole, and I'm not sort of, you know, overly generalizing, but it, clutter is not a thing, right? They, they try and lead a very clutter-free life and don't want to necessarily be you know, wasteful with gifts. So you find things that are not just edible in a lot of edible gifts that you can get, but you'll find things like themed Q-tips and uh, mm-hmm. remember the mask, the themed masks, um, you know, um, 
I don't know what you want to yeah, call with the characters. The yeah, character, uh, right, the char- when I say character, I don't mean like a costume mask. I mean a mask like, like a, a medical mask, like a medical yeah. mask. Great. Yeah. Um, a lot of things for the home, uh, a lot of some unique uh, clothing items as well, too. And there's also well, something uh, called omiyagi, which is a, a term that um, it's sort of the souvenir that that you bring back for people. And they have a lot of things that come prepackaged so they sort of prepackage the gifts for you so that which, which so if you buy for a family you can just give them one gift that has a lot of different it has like a, a colored box or a colored tin and there's different um sweets or snacks or little items inside um to a sort of almost make the the gift buying and the gift giving easier uh, did you guys see that as well or was i just well in a food no, thing. that's that's actually um, very cultural about the, the Japanese people. They do have an expectation in, in their culture that if you go away, you bring back a gift for your friends and your family when you return home. So uh, I've, I have um, luckily been able to get to know a few Japanese people as we've met them uh, at Walt Disney World. And they explained this to me that they don't have – or we don't have the type of things that they're looking for a lot of the time to take home to their friends and, and relatives. When you go into these shops, uh, they're as big as the shops that we have, but they're, like you said, all practical and small, easy to carry, easy to pack. And then if you buy something that's multiple, even if it's for yourself, they'll still give you 20 different bags, a bag <laughs> for every single item that you buy. So they're assuming that you're taking those home to give as gifts to your, your relatives and your friends and family. So one of them, and you guys were talking about the popcorn, comes down to those little keychains that had uh, replicas, small replicas of the popcorn buckets. And then the, the round chain was made up of plastic popcorn. I, I got one for one of my friends, uh, one that has the popcorn bucket that was of R2-D2, and the the chain was out of popcorn, and two or three of the popcorn charms, and I didn't even notice this till till Chris pointed it out, but the popcorn was actually um, C-3PO. His face <laughs> was in the popcorn, and I didn't even notice that. But there's a whole wall, and there was probably 50 or 75 of those tiny little replica popcorn buckets that you could buy and then take home as gifts to your friends and family. So it's it's almost an expectation in the culture, which is why there's so many little things rather than when when we walk into a shop we see all of the the t-shirts and the mugs and the you know the the one thing that they didn't have over there was a lot of that adult size um uh t-shirts and and wear it was most mostly for children or kids. But most everything you buy are like you said Things that are practical, small, um, the uh, popcorn buckets, and, and a lot of food, a lot of those little food tins and so forth. So it matches right into the culture beautifully. Yeah. yeah the main I'm sorry, go ahead. Thing, the main thing I noticed about the souvenirs was that it was largely character driven. It was pretty difficult for me to find park specific merchandise, but a lot of it focused on the characters. Yeah, I had a tough time finding attraction-specific merchandise, specifically in Disney Sea, where there were things I, I wanted to bring back about specific attractions, and I had a difficult time finding those. There was a wide variety of merchandise, but not necessarily that were land-specific or attraction-specific. Right. There was a lot of, of course, Duffy. 
and Shelly Mae. And a lot of you hugged a lot of things. If you remember correctly, <laughs> you I have pictures of you hugging a stuffed Ariel. You stuffed you were hugging Pooh like you weren't gonna let him go. And I think you probably hugged him four or five different times. So stuffed animals were probably some of the our stuffed characters were some of the larger of the gifts or things that, that we saw. And even over on the other side, over in, in uh, Disney Sea, they had, remember, that one store that was literally like four stores tied together and all it was was Duffy and their friends. Yeah, the um, in sort of the Americana section, I remember there was the huge, the Scrooge McDuck, McDuck store yeah. was nothing but Duffy and like – 50 different types and sizes and shapes and Duff, of Duffy. And that was the most crowded store that I think that yep. we encountered. Hands down. And since, since you just took that little leap over there, what I wouldn't have given if somebody would have shimmied up one of those um, light poles and pulled down one of those SEA banners, because <laughs> I had my American express card was ready for SEA merch anywhere, anyhow. And there was none to be found. Now we'll get that we'll was, look. We, let's start. Okay, so let's start right. moving our way over to to Disney Sea because again, there there's a lot to cover and a lot of things that we haven't covered. Before we sort of make that transition and segue, we we there were a couple of times we've all made references to some of the culture and the cultural differences because I think a lot of us didn't know what to expect and. Well, sort of we can talk about this more as we, we recap as a whole, but there were some things that I noticed when we were in Disneyland and in Disney Sea. And for those of you who are listening who might be thinking about going, it's not the differences are not such that uh, it's something to be intimidated or scared by. There were so things that I noticed were um so we were talking about merchandise, for example. Even like when you pay for something, when you when you buy something, you don't hand your card or cash directly to the cast member. Um, normally, they give you a little dish, and that's where you put your credit card or your cash in, um, as opposed to sort of we sort of just make the, the hand exchange. The other thing I noticed, too, and somebody else had told me as well was, and I don't know if either of you had tried this, um, you know, here in the States, when we order food, we might, you know, Burger King used to be have it your way. A lot of times in Japan, um, the way that the food is offered on the menu is the way that you were expected to receive it. Um, and I think especially with the language barrier, that could sometimes be a um, um, a little bit of a difference. And the other thing I noticed too, and somebody else had mentioned this to me before and after we went, and I didn't recognize it until they pointed out, and, they, and tell me if you guys saw this too. Did you notice that other guests were remarkably quiet on attractions, there was not a lot of conversation or talking or even, you know, yelling and things like that at a lot of attractions. I found that people were uh, incredibly quiet. There was not any sort of talking. There was no sort of uh, outward reactions. And they're so uh, they're so incredibly polite. No matter if they're waiting for something, they're on the ground. And uh, if, if they're watching a parade, they don't lift the the camera phones or the phones over their head. They are just so polite with everyone around them. And remember the other thing that kind of was uh, striking to me is in the attractions, they do not have any tolerance for you taking pictures. They don't want your phone out. If they see you with your phone in your hand, they will politely ask you to please put it away. They're very polite in everything they do, and they're so warm. I, I really enjoyed it and kind of um, uh, tapping into what you just said a moment ago. 
I wouldn't feel like I couldn't go to this location or to this destination by myself. I feel very comfortable, even though not everybody spoke English, you could get by. It was comfortable. It was easy to communicate in some way, form or fashion. And everybody's, again, just the service level and what they want to, they want to make sure that you're having a good time. And they're people around at any um, any turn to help you if necessary. It's It was so comfortable, I guess, well, is a good way to put it. Something else that we remarked about, too, is when we were waiting for the monorail system, which, again, is done very differently there. You have to have uh, a ticket, and you, you don't normally park hop. I think you can only – and Becky, correct me if I'm wrong. You can only get a park hopper ticket if you're staying at a resort, Correct. If you're staying at a certain resort right. on a certain package, right. yeah, and on, not, not that I think that you need property. it. I, you know, you know, park. We yeah. never had a sort of a desire to park up. But one thing that we noticed, and Katie, maybe I don't know if you saw this too, is that as you're waiting at the monorail station, which again looked like it opened that morning and was you yeah. could have eaten off the ground, when the monorail train started pulling into the station, everybody just lined up. In a single file, straight, quiet. There was no sort of, you know, crowded. You see pictures of nope. or videos of, of uh, folks in Tokyo, you know, getting on the train system there. Here it was incredibly different. Everybody <laughs> just knew to line up. And again, the level of courtesy and politeness, um, not just from cast members, but from guests, was something that, that very much struck and, and stayed with me. I couldn't agree more. The guests were so incredibly respectful of each other and of the parks. They really take ownership of those parks and follow the rules. Only rules that they don't follow are their excitement when a park first opens and they're destined to get to Pooh or Toy Story Midway Mania or the Duffy store. It's a little crazy then. But overall, the guests are very respectful. And Becky, I think you commented on guests sitting during the parade. That is one of the most important etiquette rules that I read prior to going. And if you sit on the ground, you shouldn't sit on the ground. One of the souvenirs I bought is a leisure seat. And so it's just a foldable, essentially thick piece of vinyl that they sit on before or and during the parades. And Everything was very orderly except for the first rush into the parks. <laughs> and I want to say that the monorails even had a Halloween overlay. I'm not sure if you guys noticed that, but the handles on the monorail even had little witch hats on them. And there were vinyl overlays on the windows. Everything was impeccably yeah. dressed for Halloween. And, and you could have eaten off of the seat on the monorail. I mean, yeah. the entire thing was so clean. I didn't see a speck of any anything anywhere. Trash was not thrown around. It was just like somebody had cleaned it five seconds ago. Right. And it, it was really amazing. And just to also add to you that where you're talking about in the morning, when we first walked into the park one morning, there's definitely one or two places that a lot of people are trying to get to quickly. And they are very briskly walking. And I remember seeing the cast members uh, every, you know, every 50 feet or so having this wonderful sign that has it in Japanese, but it says something like, please walk for safety. And they're smiling <laughs> and they're waving as people are, you know, trying not to knock them down, but they're, they're going as quickly as possible. But the other thing, too, that stuck with me was remember, Lou, when we were walking into Toontown and we turned that corner in Disneyland and Toontown and there was all kinds of cast members. There were 
food cast members. There were um, maintenance people. There was chefs. There was uh, uh, cleaning people. And they were all lined up um, on two different sides. And they all had the big white Mickey hands. Mm -hmm. And they were expecting people to walk through them. And they were high-fiving you as you walked in. And they were cheering you. There was no real reason for it, for the exception of cast members just cheering guests. And it, it was so, again warm and you really felt like you were at home you know as i started to put together um a, a list sort of to refer to in terms of the best of the best of tokyo disneyland and disney sea the very first thing and if i had to pinpoint one thing about these parks it was the culture of respect and cleanliness and service, the service culture. Service. And yeah. again, it, I think it's not just the Disney culture of service. It's a Japanese culture of service because it's cast members and guests alike. Uh, incredibly mattered. So polite. Out of the way to be helpful. Um, doing the best that they could with language. Uh, every single person had a smile on their face. And... You know, we see that a lot in world and land. Sometimes it's a little tougher, especially when you're wearing polyester and it's 137 degrees outside. But every single cast member there, and I think that goes to that sense of warmth and comfort that we felt while we were there. But I think we we have to get over to, if we're talking about the best of the best of the best, we've got to make our way over to Tokyo Disney Sea um, because... <laughs> I don't even do know flames. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. Um, in I, I, I guess a good. Go uh, sorry, I was going to say. I think the the best way to to kind of lay the groundwork for this is to say, you and I, the, our first day, we were there. We walked around for eight hours, and we only rode one attraction right. that first day. There was so much detail and so many things to see, and we only had gone on. We might have done two that day, but it was just walking around and taking it all in. That's how amazing and immersive and crazy detailed this place was. It is it's unlike. I'm sorry. It's meant to be savored. Absolutely. Um, and it's unlike any other park anywhere. And I'll, I'll, I will throw down the gauntlet now. Tokyo Disney Sea is it's not even close to I think the forget any other the best Disney park the best any park anywhere I mean it's, it's for me there's nothing that even comes close and when we talk about how different it is I want to just explain a little bit about what some of the lands are like so that you understand because you can enter a, a number of different entrances we entered in from the Hotel Miracosta, which drops you off right into this magnificent, expansive Mediterranean harbor. Obviously, it's Disney Sea. Water plays a prominent role here. You step into Mediterranean Harbor. There's the American waterfront. There is Port Discovery, which is sort of a, a futuristic marina. The Lost River Delta, which is sort of the deep, dark, remote uh, Central American jungles. There's the Arabian Coasts. Mermaid Lagoon and the, again, potentially the best of the best of the best is Mysterious Island uh, located right in the center. You're right, Becky. We walked around for eight hours um, somewhat aimlessly, which is the way we wanted to do it. We weren't necessarily trying to follow a path on a map. 
because I think that sense of discovery for us paid off dividends over and over and over again. Look, to, to illustrate that point, I will tell you, I did not know that there was a land called Mermaid Lagoon. And my reaction was, OMG, we literally found like this hidden land because the entire land is underwater. Uh, underwater. It's, it's literally, well, figuratively, it's under the <laughs> kind sea. Of was. But yeah. I saw this, what looked to be King Triton's castle, and I thought that we were walking to a little play area for kids. We walked down this ramp, and all of a sudden, there's this expansive reveal of a land with seven attractions underground. Becky, you remember, I I was, there were so many moments that I found myself agape just walking through this park. In that one in particular, because that was such a surprise to to both of us. Because like you said, we both kind of figured we were walking to go see a cute little thing with Ariel around the corner. But to go down that ramp and to have it uh, it, it was down the ramp and around the corner because you felt like maybe you were walking into a single attraction the way it was kind of set up. And then it, the cave just opens up. And like you said, it's an entire land hidden under everything else that you didn't even know was there. And I think that was the one where we actually walked around for five minutes and then sat down and just looked around and with, with jaws on the ground of, wow, how brilliant this idea was to put this here and to have it so hidden away and have it be revealed in that way it was it was a discovery it was amazing katie give me your thoughts and your impressions the first time you stepped foot into disney sea i was speechless and that's not an easy thing to do it was <laughs> it was gorgeous and the lands the transitions are seamless you don't really think about the fact that you're leaving one land and entering another. It's so well done. And I have to say nighttime, even better. It it has a totally different atmosphere. It's even more beautiful in the evening. So we can almost do a, 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 maybe this is the way we should try and tackle this because there is so much here. Uh, We spent two days in this park And did not get to see and experience everything. The park is expanding. There were some attractions that were unfortunately closed. 20,000 Leagues, I will be back. Oh, yes, I will be back. (laughs) So maybe we can almost do and kind of go uh, maybe sort of around the horn and sort of a round robin style. Uh, Our our thoughts on what some of the best of the best of Tokyo Disney Sea were are. It could be an attraction, it could be a land, it could be an experience. Whatever it is that you want to sort of highlight and point out, and we can talk about some of the things that we really found were impressive, remarkable, and memorable. And I I believe in ladies first, and Katie, you are my guest, so I will let you go first, because I'm curious, too, as to where you're going to go first, and Becky needs time to think. I... (laughs) I like to save Mysterious Island for one of you two because I think Arabian Coast is underrated. I thought it was beautiful. It reminded me a lot of Adventureland in Disneyland Paris combined with the Morocco Pavilion. It was had gorgeous lanterns at night, beautiful colors, and one of my favorite attractions, which was Sinbad's Story of Storybook Voyage. 
And it's a boat ride, a dark boat ride that goes through the tales of Sinbad with his small tiger pal, Chandu. And we can get into Chandu, but he is one of my favorite. <laughs> he is one of my favorite Parks characters. And I thought it was just a really well done dark ride. You were cool. you you spoke very highly about Arabian Coast when we ran into each other because I hadn't seen it yet, and you kept on saying you need to go and see it. You need to go see it at dusk. You need to go see it at night, and you're a hundred percent right. It's a beautiful land. It's even more beautiful at night. And look, I think Sinbad's uh, storybook voyage is arguably the best Disney dark ride anywhere and i know I, that and i that's, wow. that's saying a lot that, that is, is saying, saying a lot. lot because look and remember we also have the, the the language was not it was not in english so we were sort of filling in the blanks you know figuring the story out just from the vignettes themselves but i think it embodies that classic disney dark ride uh, i loved Chandu for a lot of different reasons, not just his oh so delicious tale. Uh, I law oh. I, I liked the Compass of the Heart song, which is an Alan Menken original song, which plays throughout the attraction. Um, I, I think it was a long attraction. I think it was really well done. I think it was whimsical without being silly. There was a lot of I, I, look. I love the cue. I love the theming. There was a lot that I really really enjoyed, and it was one of those attractions that I came out. And said, I need to bring something home from this. I need to bring home a Chandu. I need to bring home something. Um, and it was one that I wish I could have ridden a, a couple of times more so I could have appreciated because I was sort of my head was on a swivel trying to take it all in at once. I think I wrote it at least four times. And. <laughs> wow. I yeah, I that song stays in your head even though most of it is in Japanese. It it sticks in your head. And one thing I want to tell you guys about, I'm not sure if you knew, but when you go into Sinbad and you're boarding the boat, you can actually ask the cast member for a little pamphlet in English and it gives you an overview of the attraction including lyrics to the song in English. Oh, that's cool. We got to go back okay. cake. Next time. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. I didn't. Yes. Did you also find too? There was a number of times throughout the attraction that I thought it was going to be over, and then there was another scene, like over. You know, I, I, there was a couple of times I thought, um, where I, I thought it was sort of again because I didn't know what the language was. It almost seemed like there was a celebration near the end and then you got to Monkey Island and then there was the whale and some of the other. And then you finally had that big finale in in the village. But it was surprising and delightful on a lot of different ways. And I, I'm I'm almost surprised it's not an attraction that people talk about more. We've all heard about Mystic Manor. We've all heard about some of these attractions like Journey to the Center of the Earth. We wish would come here, right? We wished our, our wish for Tron finally came true. But people don't seem to talk about Sinbad a lot. They don't. And I agree. It is my favorite dark ride in all the Disney parks. And the characters are so endearing. And the story and the song, it just has all the classic elements of the dark rides that we we love. Yeah. 
and again, I kept thinking back, and I don't know exactly how long it was. I mean, it felt like it was probably, you know, a 12 to 14 minute attraction as opposed to being the four to five minutes that we get for a typical dark ride here in the States. Yeah, that's exactly right. The other attraction that I'd like to call out is in Port Discovery. It is the Nemo and Friends um, Sea Rider. And this was fairly new. It used to be a different theme, and then they rethemed the area. And this was one of my favorite attractions at Tokyo Disney Sea. It reminded me, it had elements of old school Epcot and Star Tours. So the ride vehicle is very similar to Star Tours, but there was a really well done pre show, and the pre show was narrated by a cast member and in Japanese, but there was graphics in the center of the room that explained what was going on. So the premise is that you've come to the Marine Life Institute and you're going to go see Nemo and his friends. And in their prior experiments, um, you would go inside a fish-shaped vehicle, but it would scare the fish. Now they've created this miniaturization technology, so it had definite body wars theme to it and so you were miniaturized to the size of a fish and you could go and swim with Nemo and his friends and then you boarded the vehicle and you shrunk down and you swam with them you saw graphics along the front of the vehicle but then there's panels on the sides and the animation was incredible and it was perfectly timed so if you saw something in front of you you would then see it as you swam by it through the side yeah, this was one that, uh, Becky, I remember we were so tired that night, but it was one of those, like, we ha- we waited a, a relatively long time for it, and I think, and I agree with you, Katie, that it paid off at the end, um, mm. because it was, I think, because for a, a number of different reasons, not the least of which is is the additional windows on the ride vehicle, I really, really like this a lot and and i had you know i talk about not knowing what to expect i real i had no clue into even what type of a ride system i was getting into when when we got online for it it's like here's a 40 minute queue let's stand in it and see what it does (laughs) (laughs) that was one of those really neat again discoveries of we got to try this it looks interesting we know the characters what could this possibly be and how it enveloped you and how the windows opened up and around you and you really did feel like you were bobbing in the sea it was pretty cool um i want to take a really quick turn and go back to arabian coast to point out two things really quickly number one i've never seen a double decker carousel in my entire life that was the very first one i've ever seen there which was really cool the other thing too is remember and we the lines were so long again another thing that's different in these parks that, that we're used to. But remember the, the games that you could play? Yeah. You would stand in a line and the lines would, it would look short, but yet you would find out, oh, there's an extension to that line that goes beyond uh, down another street, which one thing about that whole Arabian Coast area, it's huge. It's not small. There's little um, pathways that wind around and you go to different shops and different restaurants and different food carts 
But there's these areas where you stand in line and you play a game and you could walk away with some pretty cool prizes if you if you played the game correctly or if you won. Lots of games of chance. Um, did either of you guys play that at all? I, I saw it, but the, like you said, there was a very long line for it. And that's one of the things we saw in all the Asian parks, that there were games of chance. Obviously, you couldn't have them here in the United States for a variety of reasons, but there were games of chance and skill um, that weren't like midway carnival games, but for la- but just to sort of try and put it in context, you know, you were playing a game for a prize. And if you won, you would get one type of prize. If you didn't win, you would get some other type of prize. Yeah, it was it was really neat to watch. And I, I remember just standing back and watching a couple of people win something and get excited. And it, it definitely is something that, that people go to experience there, which was really neat. So is it my turn? It is. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm not going to take the one away from you, but I'm going to to start it that way. But I'm going to move to something else. That fortress, the fortress. Oh, curse you, Mankin! I know. <laughs> I'm not going to go too far into it because I know you're going to to jump up and down about it. The one, there's two things I want to say about it really quickly. My very favorite favorite thing, of course, was Magellan's. Was there? <laughs> Uh, for those of you who don't know, Magellan's <laughs> Shocker of All Shockers is a bar, lounge, slash restaurant. Exactly. And it was the only place that if you knew the secret thing to ask for, you could actually get a Society of the Explorers and Adventurers, an SEA glass. So I had to go so I could drink something so I could get a glass because that was the only SEA merch I could find in the entire place. You're buying that, right? <laughs> To say yes, yeah. so I can move on. Okay, good. So, but the other thing, when and, I, and I'm not going to give too much away until it gets to you, but I have not felt like a eight year old child as I've ever felt running around that fort. Um, the things, the discoveries, the different locations—it was amazing. And I will move on to something else to give you the rest of that. Believe it or not, I love the Venetian area. The gondolas that were all off the Mediterranean Harbor. It, that was something that was a big surprise to me. Um, if you've ever been to Venice, you stand there, you look down the Rialto Bridge, it looks like Venice. You get into a gondola and there are gondoliers who will sing to you, just like they do in Venice when you're uh, going up and down the canals. And you get a pretty lengthy ride. It goes out into the harbor and comes back into the, the Venetian area. But one thing that was so cool was when we were getting on the ride or on the boat, I looked over and they had this one gondola that was beautifully decorated, much more so than any others that that we were getting on for the standard ride. And I thought first, well, maybe that's just part of the decor. But when we got back from our ride and we got off the gondola, sure enough that they had taken that gondola out and there was a bride and groom in it. And they had just gotten married. They put them in the gondola and they took them out for this amazing ride around the, the harbor. But they had a live musician playing in the boat with them. And they had an opera singer who was singing live to them. So this beautiful voice you could hear throughout the whole Venetian area and then out into um, the, the harbor itself. She was singing so beautifully. And this couple were just gorgeous in the midst of this gorgeous gondola. And I, I it's still is a, a an experience that I walked away with and remember so much because I can just imagine what it must be like to get married in such a wonderful fairy tale 
place like Disney Sea, and then to have that experience, it was just really cool. Well, and you bring up another point too, which I think is one of for me was one of the best of the best that I really enjoyed is the transportation systems here are attractions in and of themselves. So the gondola is actually a ride that, that takes you from point A back to point A, but they also have the Disney Sea Electric Ra- Railway, which takes you from the American waterfront over to Port Discovery in an elevated electric trolley car, which I thought was just so wonderful and so unique and so charming. There are a wide variety of um, boat attractions. So there's the Disney Sea, the, there's the Transit Steamer Line, which can either do a, there's a couple of different lines that you could ride. Um, the monorail, I think, was as much of an attraction as it was a transportation system because it's so different from our monorails here. Um, Katie, did you get to ride either the railway or the boat or the gondola? The only one that we rode was the railway, and I adored it. I love all of these transportation methods that are just included with your admission. And it adds just a lot of movement to the land, too. Just visually, it adds a lot of interest. All right. Uh, I'm not done yet. Oh, boy. One more. I know. One more. Just I guess because I can't help myself. I'm going to come back to you. Don't worry. Did you leave out the Teddy Roosevelt lounge? (laughs) Now, I wasn't going to go there. I almost forgot about that one. But, yeah, that was pretty cool, too. (laughs) Although they didn't have a souvenir cup to take home. That was the bummer. But the, the other thing I want to give a nod to is the attraction that actually scared the bejesus out of me. That has not happened in an attraction for a long time because I've known what to expect. But that journey to the center of the earth, which was under this volcano, which was one of the most amazing things to watch in itself was when the volcano goes off every few hours or every few minutes or whatever it does the sound of the explosion of that volcano and it goes across the entire land and you could feel it in your chest and the amount of pyro that is coming out of the top of that volcano. It's pretty amazing, but the journey to the center of the earth attraction, not to give it away, but to go down and get in that vehicle and not to know, know what to expect, but knowing that you're going somewhere that's very dark and ominous. Um, I have not jumped out of my seat as I did on that attraction um, in many, many moons because there was, there's something that happened that made me close my eyes and I would not open them again because I was afraid of what was going to happen next. Um, It took me writing it a second time to actually be able to write it with my eyes open the entire time. That was very cool. You know, I'll sort of piggyback um, to that because I think mysterious for me, mysterious island itself was it almost was for me the best of the best of the best and that and that is including the fact that we did not get to ride 20,000 leagues under the sea because it was um, closed down for refurbishment so mysterious island is located in the center of the park it's sort of anchored by mount prometheus Um, you want to talk about theming that permeates not just the attractions but the food so if you've read any jules verne novels you know that mysterious island it was uh, captain nemo's lair it's also known as volcania which you saw probably if you've ever watched Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea and it was a, a port for the nautilus which we can see 
docked in the center of this, again, it, it's a hidden lagoon because you have to walk sort of into the mountain. And then there's this reveal of this. Becky, you remember my face as we walked in there um, with that sort of, you know, turn of the century steampunky feel. And just it's beautiful. And you sort yeah. of go into this area and it's almost like discovering Captain Nemo's, you know, secret harbor. So the lab is there. His uh, I'm sorry. The, the, the Nautilus is there. And again, I, I I was so disappointed we didn't get to ride twenty thousand leagues under the sea. But you know the 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 island is actually you know it's funny because the island's not really an island. It's sort of located inside of Mount Prometheus, which, like you said, Becky, erupts a number of times throughout the day and night. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say that even the snacks there were delicious. Like the snack was almost an attraction. <laughs> the little gyoza dog that they had. Oh, on my the gosh. Bo- oh, it was like yeah. the sausage with the cabbage and the onions. So good. So good. Well, and that, of course, had the one restaurant that we went to twice. Yeah. The Volcania Which, restaurant. We yeah. loved it so much. We did it two times in a row. Yep. It was so good. Hey, and it was a quick service, and I grabbed stuff, and I took it to my own table. So there. I just want to make point that out. Well, it was quick service, but again, it was different because there was yeah. a the ordering system was different. You sort of walked through. It was almost like cafeteria style, but you walked through and could pick out these combinations. So it was um, obviously Asian-inspired dishes. There was uh, dim sum and fried, but the food was remarkably good. And the restaurant was so incredibly well-themed, and we had a great seat outside in a covered area overlooking the lagoon. We watched the um, uh, the journey to the center of the earth, ride vehicles, come out of the mountain. We, we watched the mountain erupt. I mean, we enjoyed sitting there for just such a long time, just watching the people go by, which is another thing, which is the best of the best of, of Tokyo, but watching the people go by and just taking in all that mysterious island had to offer i I think it's it was one of if not my favorite place just to sort of sit and enjoy throughout um disney sea yeah and as you were talking about watching people we were there during halloween and i think even outside of halloween we probably would see just as much cosplay as we did (laughs) i mean all of the different outfits and costumes and groups of people even at um over in the Disneyland side, remember when we were in front of the castle, there were tons of little groups of people all dressed the same and all trying to do strange little things for their pictures, for their Instagram accounts. That was, it was really neat to see, but all of the people who were dressed up, that was amazing. I have to say, I think the Tokyo parks have the most passionate Disney fans to see their creativity and the costumes that they designed and wore themselves but also the costumes that they handmade for their their duffies yeah. was just yeah <laughs> it was phenomenal. There's just so much passion and creativity. Yeah. So I, I have to talk about the for me that my giant elephant in the room because Teddy's Lounge. No, sorry. <laughs> of all the things that I saw and experienced, and the things that that brought me the most joy you would think it would be food related but it's not because one of the things i i love about visiting the parks and and part of the reason why i don't look at a map and don't watch any videos is because that sense of of discovery 
And when you happen upon something, look, Becky, we found it a number. We didn't even know that the Cape Cod section of the American waterfront existed until mm-hmm. we made a left turn somewhere. And and it, all of a sudden, this section of the park revealed itself to us. Yeah. That's how I felt about the fortress exploration in Mediterranean Harbor. So there is this um, large fortress and a galleon that is on the shore of this harbor, which looks to the the uneducated eye as though it's just almost decorative. Um, there was at one point that um, we, we outside of Magellan's, there was a a doorway to something called the Leonardo Challenge, which was free, and they give you a map where you can follow these clues in order to complete a mission, which again, it was Japanese language. I didn't know what the mission was, didn't really care, because I got to walk through all of these different rooms. It wasn't until later on that night, and Becky, I think, was... This is not a joke. I think you were still at Magellan. So Yeah, <laughs> and? And I was wandering by myself, and the most memorable, remarkable part of this trip was as I started to walk through this fortress, which is, it could almost be its own little land. It's sort of a multi-story complex that I didn't even know or understand because it doesn't say this on the map, but there's, I think, 10 or 12 exhibits that are inside the towers and the dome. And so if you think about it as almost like a museum that's tucked away in all these little nooks and crannies, as I was wandering through in the evening, I would come upon these rooms. And I think the first thing I saw, which was sort of the, the weenie that attracted me was the, uh, the recreation of Da Vinci's flying machine. And that got me leading me down to other pathways. And, um, there was a, a navigator's hall. There was a seismic recording station. That's where I realized that the map that I was holding was actually something that was interactive. And if I would have followed it, if I spoke Japanese and the clues that were leading me, I didn't realize that if I put my map into the right, I don't even know what to call it. Um, there's sort of like, a, it almost like a, a bronze plaque. If I would have put my map in the right room, it would make an interactive thing happen but when i walked through the the one section and i don't even know what to call it but when i discovered the room that had this gigantic model of the solar system where you could actually sort of move you sort of hand crank and you could move the planets around and depending on how they aligned it would generate some sort of um, of, uh, response in the environment. It was beautiful. It was breathtakingly gorgeous. And I remember when Becky finally stumbled her way out of Magellan's and I told him, like, you need to come up here and you need to see this. Like it did, like you had a legitimate, like mouth open, agape reaction to it. I I don't know if you remember or, and, and, Katie, I don't know if you saw or went through it at all as well. Oh, my gosh. Uh, seriously, I walked out of Magellan's. We left, and, and Katie, you guys went on to something else. And I said, I'm going to go look this. I'm going to go walk through this fortress because it it looked like there was more to it. But you really – it didn't, like, point out that this is something you need to go do. Like you said, it was it's very – 
very well hidden. You just, you have to go explore it. You have to go seek it out. And I went up the staircase around the same thing that you did up by Leonardo's flying contraption. And I started to explore and got into one room and then another room. And then I found the pendulum room. And then I think that's when I spotted you and you said, oh my gosh, you need to come see this. And I walked into that astronomy room and uh, I, it was so unexpected. It, it was amazing. And I could have played in that room for hours, just moving everything around. And like you said, having the environment change and the different sounds that were ha- happening. And, and then to follow the clues, I think that's when I um, went to the next few rooms with you to figure out what you were supposed to end up doing with that map. That was so unexpected and so cool and such a discovery. I felt like like we'd accomplished something, you know? We did a scavenger hunt. We didn't know what we were actually doing, but we got it to work. And then I forgot, your, remember you were able to get the seal. You can sort of get yes. that imprinted seal. So you come home with a souvenir, um, which yeah. I thought, which, and I remember bringing, I brought a bunch of those maps home. I, I, I gave Matt as part of the care packages for the nation because it's something that's so unique to any park anywhere. I mean, I, I, I want to say I could have spent hours because I did spend hours just wandering through. It wasn't a, an additional ticket. It was something mm-hmm. that, you know, anybody can do. Uh, Katie, did you get a chance to walk through or do it at all? I did. And this was my one of my husband's favorite things in the park. He he could have spent all day there. And I enjoyed myself too, but it was incredible. And it, it made me think of just edutainment at its best. And yeah, you didn't need a map. It was going in and exploring. And I agree that astronomy room was the best part. It, you could get uh, lost. You could. you could easily get lost, which was so much fun. Is getting oh, lost was part of the fun. And you can actually go out. Uh, I remember you can go onto the um, Explorer's Landing, which sort of that that dockside area. So there was almost a little play area for kids. But you can also there's, there's a a docked ship that's there called the Renaissance that you can walk through. It's part of the adventure. But remember Becky going through and finding all of the little chambers and areas in there. There was a you can see where. The, the galley was. You can see where people slept. You could actually climb into and interact with a lot of those things. If you went up on deck, you could pull the the cord and have the cannons fire. Like, yeah. And the cannons fire loud enough so that people around the lagoon could hear it. Um, I just thought that the, the, the fortress of Mediterranean Harbor and the Leonardo Challenge was, as much as I love the attractions, as much as I love the food, that is the thing that I personally enjoyed more than anything else and it made for a great place to watch all the water shows too we, we watched phantasmic from up there and one of the other daytime water shows as well uh it's a great place to just kind of hang out but i'm with you it was one of my biggest takeaways from this entire thing and i would go back and i would spend hours in that attraction in heartbeat it's if leonardo da vinci Design Tom Sawyer Island, that's what it would look like. That same yeah. type of – because that's what it is, right? You go to Tom Sawyer Island and you just sort of wander and discover and you find all these different things to do. Because I just tried to think. I'm like there's nothing else like this in the States and maybe on a much more simplistic level that's kind of like what it is. It is wandering around 
this area, um, interacting with your environment, finding all these little hidden pathways and discovering all these different rooms. And I think that's where it is. Like I remember remarking to myself that I, I was aware that I had a smile on my face as I was walking through because I was just enjoying that simple um, game that I didn't even know what I was doing so very much. And I even found Captain Jack Sparrow there too. You did. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. It was like, a, again, a little discovery. It was pretty cool. Someone I could talk to and would talk back in my same language, which was kind of cool. <laughs> well, and, and to that point, you know, characters here, not just Duffy and, and his pals, yeah. but characters here are a very big deal. Uh, not just the guests that are dressed like cast members, but the lines to meet characters and interact with characters were equally long as well. Oh, yeah. Remember in um, when we went and did the Arabian Nights one where we saw uh, Jasmine, where that entire crowd of people, there were too many people to all get their picture taken. So they had to choose people out of the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I found really interesting. And everybody else is like, well, oh, darn, I didn't get picked and I didn't get my picture with them. But it was okay. Yeah. You know, it was just, uh, again, another strange way uh, about how, not, not strange, but different um, way of handling things that we normally are used to where everyone lines up and Mickey leaves for cheese for, you know, 30 minutes and someone else comes back. Um, it's It was just an interesting way. And everybody's like, yeah, okay, well, I did get picked. That's all right. I got to see Jasmine and her prince. But I think to your point, I think, and this was actually on my list in terms of one of my best of the best. One of my best of the best things to do there was people watching um, yeah. because the, um, the the they don't just do sort of a um, it, it's sort of somewhere in between cosplay and Disney bounding. But, you know, the kawaii culture there in terms of this this cute culture and the kawaii culture is very, very popular. And you saw a lot of people, not just girls, but, you know, groups of girls dressed alike. Guys and girls dressed like Duffy and Shelley May or Donald and Daisy. Um, some were more, um, you know, simple. Some were more, I mean, very, very elaborate. elaborate uh, Katie, yeah. Katie, I'm sure you saw a lot. I mean, it wasn't because it was Halloween. It was because it was Japan. That's right. And it was plus because it was Halloween. But like I said earlier, it's just the passion of the guests and wanting to show to their Disney side. And yeah, even in the, even the men had Duffy ears and Duffy purses on. It was. It's a satchel. It's, it's European. <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Jones carried one. <laughs> Well, I, I want to say one of the best of the best things for me was watching the two of you who um, showed your loving, enduring, <laughs> en enduring love. There we go for poor little Shandu. But you took down his tail oh. so fast. Oh, listen, <laughs> sister, you want to go down that road. I will. <laughs> Maybe we're saving what is the the oh so delicious elephant in the room for last because the food, if you thought the food at Tokyo Disneyland was good, you haven't been to Tokyo Disney Sea. Um, I just, I, so, <laughs> the love that I feel for that park and the attractions is eclipsed only by my love for the food. 
Let's hit the first thing first. We'll sort of make the easy transition from Disneyland to Disney Sea. Here, too, there were seven different flavors and locations of popcorn that had their own spot and color on the map. So there was the caramel popcorn, the curry popcorn, the herb tomato popcorn, which Becky spaghetti. and I discovered. It's like, it's like spaghetti popcorn, <laughs> milk chocolate popcorn, salted popcorn, blueberry popcorn, and black pepper. So good. All right. So Katie Kuhn, how many different popcorns did you try and which was your favorite? <laughs> I tried three. I had the white chocolate, black pepper, and curry. And I loved the curry and the black pepper, but I had two boxes of the black pepper, so I would say that one won. So wait, so in total, how many in, in both parks, how many different did you do you have did you have? I believe I had five or six different flavors of popcorn and some repeats. All right, let me see. I had soy sauce and butter. I had caramel, <laughs> curry, barbecue, salt, uh, herb tomato, black paper, pepper. So I had. I only had seven. I only had seven <laughs> different ones. Seven I feel like seven. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> uh, I loved the herb tomato, but it, it tasted like I was eating spaghetti dinner. Um, I really liked the, you. I think, Katie, I think you encouraged me to get the curry which was located by Arabian coast, right? Right. Right. It was located by the Chandu tail. So it was really convenient when we were done with that. <laughs> <laughs> we Dessert. literally ate after we ate. Um, that was my entire three days. In Tokyo say, wasn't, wasn't that the itinerary? Because again, remember it, Disney sea was, was much more known for this than the Disneyland side of it, where it was an attraction, a food cart, a restaurant, a restaurant, a food cart, an attraction or a store, a food cart, a food cart, a food cart, and then a restaurant and a store. There was so many places for for you to stop and get something. I mean, down in the on the um, American side, what was it? The what's it called? The waterfront. Yeah, uh, down in that harbor area where remember you got the sausage uh, roll. Oh, stop the rice, the wrapped with the pork. Katie, yeah, I think pork. I think Travis had that right. He did. Oh my! You had it good twice. God. I, it I was, think... it was. Oh my god! It was one of the best things I've ever put in my because <laughs> <laughs> it was because when you think snack carts, to be clear, the snack carts were not all sweets. There was a lot of savory on the snack cart. So, so Katie, give me some yeah. of your best of the best things that you ate in Disney Sea. Chandu tail is my number one. And so the Chandu tail is a goiza bun that has like a creamy chicken center. And it is phenomenal. (laughs) It was really good, but I half expected it to be sweet, not savory. Because it does. It looks very cute and playful and orange and black. And it, it looks like it has a cream filling. And so you halfway expect it to be not savory. But but so and and um, I, I'm sure in my thousand pictures that I posted, I posted pictures of the Chandu tail and Katie and I having multiple Chandu tails. It's a <laughs> long. It's probably you know if you were to stretch it out, it's probably ten inches in length. It's sort of an S shaped, like you said, gyoza bun. So it's a soft um, bun. 
and you don't necessarily – I'm trying to sort of describe what this chicken cream fill – it's almost like you take the inside of a, of a chicken pot pie and stick it in a chandu tail. Is that maybe a somewhat of a – That's accurate. accurate. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. It it definitely it is – like a good. lot of the things that I found in, in Disney Sea specifically, there was a lot of umami – there, that sort of um, that that oh so yummy, pleasant, you know, dark, um, intense flavor that I loved, which is I think why I had so many different types of buns while I was there. Um, all right, so other than Chandu Tail, what else did you have? I also had what's called a Tipo Torta. The thing it's most similar to would be a churro, where it has a crispier outside and a softer oh, yeah. inside. Their year-round flavor is sweet potato, but for Halloween, they had a blueberry cream cheese one. That was so good. Yeah, that too. That was so, so good. good. That was so good. <laughs> and I was just astounded with all the seasonal food offerings. So on top of their normal snacks, they also had Halloween-specific snacks or their regular snacks had a Halloween overlay. And one thing I'd recommend for anyone who's going to go is when you check in at the front turnstiles, in addition to getting an English part map, get a today guide. It's in Japanese, but there's photos and it shows the current merchandise and snacks that are themed for whatever season. And you can easily follow the numbers that coordinate to the English map and where to get the seasonal snacks. So did you have so wow. the the same cart that had the black tipo torta the with the cream cheese and blueberry also had the regular tipo torta which is purple sweet potato. Do you have that one too? I did. I like that one better. Right? That a girl. You guys can't really? just get one. You got to get them both. Oh okay. no. But let me let me remind you of one little thing. Do you remember the sea salt ice cream? Yes. That had that sh- the the, sh- the shape of the shell the, by so Ariel's. Yeah, and it had Minnie on it as a mermaid on the outside of the package. And inside was that like um, vanilla ice cream with some strawberry. Uh, but that shell was amazing. Remember the we went to Tropic Owls and there was a sweet fried burrito? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder we didn't write anything the first day. It was all eating at carts. It was no, so I mean that's good. we. All, that's all we did every day. We we just ate at carts every other day too, because it was, it was so. They were so unique. They were so different. Uh, I would have been remiss. I wouldn't have been doing my job, Becky, had I not tried everything possible. How about the little green men in the mochi? Oh yeah, those were so good. Were there was a chocolate. A yeah. vanilla and a strawberry, and I loved that. In the after- we got it coming in one day, and then I got another one to go in my refrigerator for the next morning. <laughs> I love those things so much, and they're they are little the little green men from Toy Story. It was so cute. They were. How do you eat something so cute? Very easily. I noticed that was <laughs> that was my uh, that was my breakfast. I think the last day. <laughs> I also had. Remember, we were leaving one night. It was late. We were like, we were, we were making our way out, and we found it was a the spicy, and I might be pronouncing it wrong. Katie, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Ukiwa, Ukiwa bun, 
which is a it's a savory bun. And this one was, again, themed for Halloween. It was themed. It was black and purple for Ursula, but it had a spicy shrimp and pork inside. It was so good and so delicious. And so you talk about umami. That was as full as I was that night. That was a nice little uh, additional treat on the way out, too. I didn't have that one, but I've heard about that one. And that's another one where they have it year round, but it has that Ursula black and purple bun theme for Halloween. Oh, gosh, it was so good. Imagine what they do for the other holidays, you know? Well, no, imagine. We, we need to go back for every single holiday oh, just to, to do it for research purposes. If you think about it, think mm-hmm. about the fact that we did not go to so many other of the restaurant restaurants. We oh. don't even really know <laughs> what the restaurants in Tokyo Disney Sea nope. are like because we sort of picked our way through other than Volcania. That was really the only place that we sat and ate. We actually did not actually have another. Um, we didn't have a, have a sit down meal, uh, and and oh. so was it. I, I don't. I'm trying to remember. Is we the um, the the ship the giant the, the Columbia? When I say Columbia, I don't mean the Columbia as in Columbia Harbor House or the the sailing ship Columbia in Disneyland. The SS Columbia here is a giant steamship. It's a cruise ship. That's docked on the American waterfront, and inside there's a, a dining room. That's where the Teddy Roosevelt Lounge was, and there's also a, a stage on the outside. We didn't get a chance to eat in a ton of these locations. No, there's a ton, and you haven't even brought up that there's restaurants and shops and bars in their their version of Downtown Disney, too, where we did eat. A couple of times. That was so. You haven't even mentioned it yet. So (laughs) Expiari, and and if I'm pronouncing it wrong, I-K-S-P-I-A-R-I, Expiari is basically a mall that's located between the Disney Ambassador Hotel and Myheimer Station. And in this indoor-outdoor mall, there's 100-plus shops like 8,000 restaurants, bars, there's a, a movie theater. But, Becky, you know, I said, look, because we're not going to have time to go into Tokyo proper or tour anywhere else in Japan, I need, I I begged you, I need to have, if I'm going to go to Tokyo, if I'm going to go to Japan, I need to have sushi. And we went to an Edo-style restaurant there where you so graciously waited outside to go into a a place where not only could you not read the menu, but were scared by about 97% of what you saw on it. Oh my gosh, yes. I was afraid most of it was still moving. But (laughs) it was one of my favorite experiences because what you do is you're given um, basically like a a giant sheet where you fill in what you want. Um, If you've ever ordered Edo-style sushi, you're basically ordering it like by the piece. Um, and you took off your shoes, you sat in one of the sunken tables. I just had the most loveliest time. I think other than going through the fortress, that was the second biggest smile I had on my face. You didn't stop smiling the entire time. You had this little menu and you're like one of these and four of these and one of these and I want more of these and I want some of these. But uh, one thing I do want to mention is that, you know, as we went into this whole thing, but with China and with Tokyo, um, I am a picky eater. I'm the first to admit that. 
um, I wasn't exactly sure how I was going to do with all of this. I found something that met my needs and what my what I liked and things that I could easily kind of venture out into everywhere we went. And even in that restaurant, they had a fabulous, oh, you know how much I love seared tuna or tuna, raw tuna. They had a tuna and a, a, a tuna salad that was amazing. And I would, I would have loved to have a larger portion of that because it was so good. I would have eaten three of them. Um, but everywhere we went, there was something that I could eat. So if that scares people, don't be scared at all because there's something you can eat anywhere you go at these destinations. I just was looking back at the picture and there's, and I see Kitty and I holding up our little Chandu tails with the biggest smiles <laughs> on our faces. <laughs> but the one thing I did really, and you touched on this where yes, when we waited our 45 minutes for our little table, we had to got to take our shoes off at, and I love that was out front and almost everywhere you go, the food is on display. Mm-hmm. So you can actually see what's available in that restaurant by these wonderful dishes that are on display out front. And for the restaurant that you were just talking about, they had that huge thing that covered the entire wall on the outside. So you could look and see what type of sushi or what type of things were available for you. So it does kind of take the mystery out of um, the, or the fear out of the, the dining experience when you can actually see what you're going to order, if you're going to do the point and uh, try to figure out what you're going to order when somebody doesn't exactly speak the languages back and forth, you kind of at least know what you're ordering by getting to see it beforehand. And even sometimes when you see it, you don't know what you're ordering because I remember it was sort of like a grid of, it was probably 12 across by 10, maybe eight down. So there was probably close to a hundred different types of um, sushi or sashimi or, or maki rolls that you could order. And sometimes the English translations did not necessarily <laughs> explain what they were. So it was a, a leap of faith, but I just had, I couldn't even tell you what the name of the restaurant was because there was no English name of it outside, nope. but that was one of my most enjoyable evenings. Katie, what about for you? Other than the Chandu tail, anything else or any place else that you ate that was memorable for you? I also ate at Casbah Food Court in the Arabian Coast. And this is another Japanese curry restaurant. And I thought it was really good. And similar to Becky, I was nervous about finding something to eat on this trip. And I didn't have a problem. I have a dietary restriction, but everywhere I, I went, it was easy to find something that could accommodate all right, so is so wait, any... before you move off food, Go there's ahead. one other thing. Remember, I'll, listen, I'll never after, move off. I never move off af- food. after the sushi, and we were going downstairs. We were going to go back to the hotel. Remember, we ran into that little crepes and gelato place. Yes, oh, such so nice. a different dichotomy. There was like the extremes of sushi to oh my gosh, there's a place where they're hand making crepes, and gelato of all different types of interesting flavors they, they had a, were putting a pumpkin together. chocolate they had a pumpkin yeah. chocolate that was oh so good it was so amazing so that that entire place is a, a place to spend an evening just in itself in that mall area but it it's much more than just a mall but there's a, so much to see and do and so much of the culture that's right there 
But I think a takeaway, too, is even if you are a picky eater or have dietary restrictions, everything is not, you know, raw fish and curry buns. I mean, Becky, you yep. we went by we were by the American waterfront. You had gotten a um, a baked potato because you're like, OMG, it's Western food. I have to get it while I can because you were afraid of what what else you might have found later on. But. There was, I mean, there's also places to get, you know, hamburgers and stuff like that too. Yeah, but there was there was a TGI Fridays up there, I think. Um, <laughs> you <laughs> so tried desperately to convince me to go enough. there. there um, it was right around the corner. I could have got like a, you know, a, a real adult beverage. But there was even like a Mexican uh, restaurant yeah. inside Lost River Delta. So there was a wide variety yeah. of of dining options, which is one of the things that really appealed to me and i think for those who are thinking about going who might be concerned about that if you don't like asian food or you're afraid you know if you want a sandwich if you want a pizza if you want a hamburger if you want some of the if you want a really good steak somewhere you can get all those things as well absolutely all right so look we can there's there's so much more that we can cover you know i think we really believe or not have only sort of scratched the surface in what has now become a long time. Is there anything else, um, Katie and then Becky, that you feel is important enough to remark about that you felt was memorable or really left a lasting impression on you? For me, it was the entertainment, the live performances. There was a show at Tokyo Disneyland called Mini O Mini and it unfortunately closes permanently in March, but it had a Latin music theme, and it was the best Disney show I've ever seen. And then at Mediterranean Harbor, there was a show called, blanking on the name, Big Band Beat. And if you think Mickey in Sensational Parade and Disneyland is great, he's even better in this show and then the seasonal entertainment was outstanding there was the show in the mediterranean harbor villains world Mm -hmm. where there was huge floats and pyrotechnics and guys with water jet packs propelling them 100 feet above the waterfront so all of the live entertainment is really well done in the tokyo disney parks the show on Mediterranean that Harbor that you're referring to was very, very impressive. The daytime show and the nighttime show, because you really can watch it in 360 degrees. I, I would not be surprised if we didn't see elements, not specific, but sort of elements of the way that they produced that show to come to Disney World. Uh, maybe someplace like World Showcase Lagoon, I'm just saying. Um, the other thing, too, when you remarked about the um, shows is they do something there that I haven't seen anywhere else, which is a lottery system. And right. it takes place both right. in Disneyland and in Disney Sea. And because some of the shows can get very busy, you actually, other than I think the first show um, of the day, you have to get a you have to sort of go to a kiosk, put your ticket in, and if you quote unquote win the lottery you get a ticket to that show so you're not always guaranteed for some of the inside shows to get a seat for the show that you want so we tried to go see the big band show becky and i and as luck would not have had it we did not get tickets for it so we weren't able to because we weren't that was our last day we weren't able to go back and see the first show of the day 
So did you, did you, Katie, did you have to do the lottery for all the shows? For Minio Mini, they didn't have the lottery operating, but for Big Band Beat, we did. And we'd read some guidelines and they're not foolproof, but one recommendation was to hang out for a little while around the kiosk. And if you hear a lot of rejection noises, wait. And so that's what we did. And it was probably just luck, but we heard some of the success sounds and we put our tickets in and we got tickets to the show. So we had good luck with it, but a lot of other people didn't. Yeah, like us. <laughs> Becky was looking for Becky was looking for scalpers. She's like, listen, yeah. I got twenty bucks. What do I there's gotta be there's gotta be another no. way to get in this thing. There's gotta be another way. <laughs> Becky, anything else for you that was memorable, remarkable? Yeah, I I have to say, um, first of all, we've said this a few times. We definitely did this in the right order, going um Hong Kong to Shanghai to Tokyo Disney Sea. Um one thing that stood out to me specifically, of course, is the cultural differences and, and all in a good way, um, especially with the attractions. So if you look at something like Tower of Terror, great example, because obviously that's the, the regular Tower of Terror theming with the Rod Serling and um, the Twilight Zone doesn't play that well in Japan. They would have to figure out a way to educate an entire uh, population on something that was not on their TV screens. So they jumped forward and they turned it into a story. And it really has such a wonderful nod to how Disney and Imagineering can take an element like Tower of Terror and weave a story around it so much so that I was ready to shimmy up a flagpole and tear down an SEA banner. (laughs) It was so cool to see how they translated the story from in the same ride. And we've seen it now again with guardians of the galaxy at Disneyland, how they take that same scenario and turn it into so many different stories. And that's just a huge nod to the creativity uh, and the, the brilliance that we have known and come to, to love about Disney and Imagineering. Um, in a way, Disney sea is what I would expect uh, from Imagineering in a in a strange way without a budget. If, if Imagineering was allowed to, to go crazy without the constraints of a budget, Disney sea would be the type of thing that, that they can create and have. Um, I'm really impressed with, with how they've weaved in the culture and weaved in the story and created this wonderful place that we have to go back to. And one of the things that I was thinking about too is remember that first morning when we walked in and tried to figure out where we're supposed to go for our early entry and everybody was doing that fast run walk and we assumed it was for the Tower of Terror. Um, a friend of mine who was one of the openers of that land actually told me that it's it's actually Toy Story mm-hmm. that people are gunning for right now, which made me go, where's that on the map? And realized we didn't even go back there. Right. So there's still we were there for two straight days, walking around, looking at every nook and cranny or so we thought there's still so much more to explore. And I can't wait to go back. And we will go back. Uh, that that's that's a fait accompli. Um, and to touch on quickly a couple of things that you mentioned, I agree about this original storyline for the Tower of Terror piggybacking on this. Um, undercurrent of the Society of Explorers and Adventurers, which began, it, you know, that, that story that SEA originated here 
continued on to Hong Kong Disneyland and, and Mystic Point with Lord Henry Mystic and some of the other locations. I, I will tell you that plans are already in the works to do a full show about the Society of Explorers and Adventurers and where you can find them throughout the parks and why some of the things that are there. So we will definitely circle back cool. to that um, because it's it's fascinating and I think that we're just starting to see the beginnings of it here on the domestic side. Um, look, I, I, I prefaced this segment a, a long time ago by saying that <laughs> We talked about this being the best of the best of Tokyo. I still believe without question that Tokyo Disney Sea is the best of the best. I think it's due to a number of reasons. I think it's due first and foremost and last due to the cast members um, as, as in, in any Disney park. I very much saw that here. Um, the cleanliness, the dining, the attractions, the snacks. And the dining make the I know I'd said dining three times make this far and away I think the best park anywhere and if I were to rank them and maybe this will be a segment for a future show I would potentially put Shanghai Disneyland right behind here in terms of individual parks and what they have to offer and that's saying a lot coming from and loving Walt Disney World the way that that I do. Um, to your point about the future, look, you're right. Uh, Oriental Land Company clearly invested, um, you know, they they opened up their purses wide. But what I think that this shows, because look, the, the, while they might O&O, they might own operate Tokyo Disney Resort, they pay Disney for the for the characters and the licenses and, and the royal, you know, the, the licenses. But they also bring in. Imagineers to design and build this park and to build Tokyo Disney Sea. And what that means to me is that if Tokyo Disney Sea and Tokyo Disneyland, which have been around for um, a long time, look, so, so Disney Sea opened, um, what, in 2000, 2001, somewhere around there? So if that's what they can do 16 years ago, imagine what is coming for the future here. Imagine what is coming for Star Wars. Imagine what is coming for future as yet unannounced expansions. Imagine what is probably coming for Epcot, seeing the level of detail and more importantly, storytelling, which is what I think Disney Sea does so well. And I think why it's, it's for me far and away the best park anywhere is because the, the detail and the storytelling, which obviously translates even without understanding the language, is incredible. Um, this park is, even more so than a place like Epcot or Animal Kingdom, or is so incredibly unique in terms of the lands, in terms of the IP that they use. You know, most of the stuff that we talked about, save for a quick mention of maybe Toy Story or... so are not based on common IP, right? So when, when you know, Magic Kingdom, it's it's based on animated films and movies and stories. We're talking about Jules Verne. We're talking about the stories of Americana. We're talking about Port Discovery and the Lost River Delta. These things on their own, the stories that they tell on their own don't necessarily rely on um, uh, the films or, or, or on films or existing IP. So I think that that speaks volumes about um, what they're able to do in levels of storytelling 
Again, the service here is a thing that I came back to. All of this would be nothing had it not been for the level of service that I think we and any guest receives when they go there. Um, it is a place that I want to go back to. I need to go back to. Becky, you know I'm not saying anything. Uh, I want to go back to Shanghai, go there for a couple of days. I want to tour Tokyo as a group, and I want to end off in Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea. Um, last question for each of you. How many days in an ideal, perfect, you hit the lottery kind of world, how many days do you think that you need to just to forget Tokyo itself, just to see Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea, Katie and Becky? I had three full days to explore the two parks, and that wasn't enough. So definitely four, I could easily do five to do it thoroughly. Oh, that's, that's a, that, okay. (laughs) Because if you want to see both the parks and go through all of the, you can't, it's like, it's like Disney world. You can't really do it all. Um, But if you needed to come close and before I answer you, I'm going to throw this in there too. Yes, we are working on just that, that itinerary that you're talking about. It's not going to happen quickly. We're, we're talking to several suppliers to maybe put it together. So um, hold on to your emails. As soon as we have something ready, then Lou will be the first to to get out there and discuss it. But um, get your little milk jug off to the side. Start putting your yes, pennies in there. So exactly, can, we're going to give the, you the, time to save. Exactly, we'll definitely give you the time to save. We're we're again talking to several suppliers on how we're going to put this together the in the best possibly way we can. Um, so. It's, it is coming. It is something we're going to do. We have to do it again. We just had way too much fun and it'd be way much more fun to have it with a group of people too. And, and to be able to explore Japan as well, because we want to see more than just Tokyo and there there's our, than then Tokyo Disney Sea and that and D- Tokyo Disneyland. But for that area alone, uh, if you also want to try to see the shows and eat the food and, and really explore it and experience it because you're not going to be there every year. Probably I would, I would say if five nights would not be out of, yeah. out That's of right. range. You guys are, we're all in the same place. I mean, it sounds like it's a lot and it's not, it's um, not because I think even with five days, you probably still wouldn't be able to do it all. Quick lightning round question. Don't think about it. Just answer. Katie Kuhn, if I could transport you to Tokyo right now, you can go to either park and do one thing. What would it be? Sinbad. Becky? Uh, Come on. Don't think. Don't think. uh, That's really hard. One Um, thing. Go. What's yours? (laughs) I have to think. I have to think about it. Um, You're not supposed to think about it. I know. It, the opportunity probably, is... Go ahead. I would probably spend more time in the fortress. I I probably would. I would probably want to get more into this SEA thing, really, and get my own seal and go through all of it. And then, of course, celebrate Magellan's. <laughs> Why Giggle. does it not surprise me? So Well, I because would, I, I would eat. right not... into the... I could go right back into Volcania. I could go in there and have lunch. It's all right in that same area. Katie, remember when I told her one thing? This is what this is what I have to deal with. I say one thing and she lists 18. Um, well, when I 
Same There's band, spaghetti but Andrew Tail was obviously included. Well, that's a given, clearly. Um, I would get a Chandu tail on the way to go eat. So that's how I would spend my day and my time. Um, look, Tokyo Disney Sea, I, I cannot say enough good things about it. If if you are listening sort of, you know, around this table virtually with us and have ever been considering going to an overseas park, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, if you can come with us as a group, it's even better. But it is an experience, I think, that uh, if you can possibly do, um, it, it's something that is, uh, as a Disney fan, um, I, I think it is it is still and will always be one of the most memorable um, experiences I have ever had at a Disney park anywhere. So that was due in large part to both of you guys because... Things like this are always enjoyed more when they are done with friends. So Katie Kuhn and Becky Mankin from MEI and Mouse Fan Travel, thank you guys so much for sharing the experience and for reliving the experience with us. And we need to go back. I need more little green men mochi. The chandu <laughs> tail and that pork and with the rice and the gyoza buns. Aye. Spaghetti popcorn. Listen, I didn't earn the name Dumpling by accident. Like, I, I worked for it on this trip. Yes, you did. Yes, indeed, you did. Sea salt ice cream. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes in what you see, sometimes in what you hear. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online forum for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I was over at Disney's Hollywood Studio, literally and figuratively for purposes of the question, and I asked you, for the first time in forever, the, a Frozen sing-along celebration, there are two historians which help sort of narrate and tell the story. And your question was simply to tell me, what are their names? Thanks to the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, and know that it's Aria and Eric. You hear them sing the Arendelle Royal Anthems. You know that Arya has a crush on Hans, and Eric thinks that Kristoff is from a galaxy far, far away. Again, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and you were once again playing for my 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, both of which are still on sale for just $10 at the WW Radio store, a WW Radio Magic Band cover, some stickers, and a pop socket and stand for your phone. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Brianna Faulkner. So, Brianna, congratulations. I have your address because you use the online form. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. 
So I think that an overlooked uh, attraction in Disney's Animal Kingdom is the Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail, which is that walkway near the Kilimanjaro Safari, which you can see the all the different types of African animals. It's about, I don't know, maybe a quarter of a mile in length. And there's all these research students, cast members, positioned through the attraction to really help answer some questions and give you information about the animals that you're seeing along your trek. But what you might not have realized is that this opening day attraction actually has had three names since it opened in April 1998. It was known as the Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail when it opened. It changed in August 1998 and then reverted back to its original name of Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail in May 2016. So I've just given you two of the three names because they're both Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail. But your question this week is to tell me what was the name of this attraction when it changed from August 1998 to May 27th, 2016. You have until Sunday, December 17th, to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there, and again, you will play for the book, the tours, the Magic Band cover, the stickers, the pop socket, and because we are in the spirit of the holiday season, I will also send you a brand new hot off whatever they print them on, a WW Radio Christmas ornament for your tree or wherever you'd like to hang it. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week and joining us on our trip back to Tokyo Disneyland and Disney Sea. I cannot wait to go back and hope that you are able to come with us. Just a couple of quick reminders and thanks and announcements. First, thanks as always to all the members, new and long time of the WW Radio Nation. I appreciate all of your love and support and help, including Benjamin Zimmerman, Andrew Milan, Phil Minnelli, Anthony Molay, Donald McCorvey, Michael Lormayu and Glenn Nickel. I appreciate you being part of our nation family and all that you do to help support the show. If you want to not only help the show, but get exclusive rewards every month, including scavenger hunts, we have a private Facebook group. I'll send you a personalized WDW Radio Nation Magic Band cover. We have logo gear, backpacks, t-shirts, and monthly care packages from Walt Disney World. We do live video group calls and lots more. You can visit www.radionation.com. Also, don't forget that a portion of your proceeds do go to our Dream Team project to help benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. In addition to the show, I would love if you join me every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WW Radio Live. I do a live video broadcast and chat either from the parks or from the home studio. A great way to make this really a two-way conversation between all of us and really have a fun way for the community to come together. And so be sure you not only like the WDW Radio page on Facebook at facebook.com slash WDW Radio, but also turn on notifications as I, as I often go live other times throughout the park as well. Also, be sure that you become part of the WDW Radio Box People group on Facebook. That's the best place really to have conversations for you to ask questions. And really, it's much more of a community aspect there as well. Of course, you can also connect with me at other places on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn. And of course, as much as I love connecting and talking with you online, I still believe that nothing beats a handshake and a hug. That's why I continue to do meets of the month and special events every month in Walt Disney World. Thanks to everybody who came out 
to Disney Springs this past weekend. Brave the relative cold here in Florida, and I hope all of you who came enjoyed your WDW Radio Christmas ornament that I gave out to everybody. If you missed last month, that's okay. We will do our regular meet of the month in January. As always, it's where and when it began. Wow, it's going to be 10 years since I've been doing Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World over Marathon Weekend. So if you're going to be there to run, cheer, walk, eat, whatever it is, we will be there the Saturday of Marathon Weekend in Tomorrowland. I think we do it about 1 o'clock or so. I'll post it on the events page over on Facebook. And when I do, please let me know that you are coming. We also still have just a couple of spots remaining for our cruise to Alaska in 2018. I'm going to announce group excursions and special events soon. As well as maybe a couple of other surprises. But I tell you, if you are thinking about it, please go and get a free no-obligation quote. We have uh, inside ocean views. We have balconies uh, that we are still able to sell at our very special day one pricing. So if you go to wdwradio.com slash Alaska 2018, you can get a quote from our friends over at Mouse Fan Travel. And if you're going to be there over Marathon Weekend, and if you're not running, you are more than welcome to come and cheer with us. We'll have more information about that and where and when you can do that uh, coming up soon. I'm also planning on doing some meetups on the road as I travel to speak. And if I can maybe help come speak to your business, your conference, your event, your to your school, you can go to loumangelo.com. And maybe if I could also help you turn that thing that you love into that thing that you do with some one-on-one mentoring or small group coaching or my Momentum event coming next October. Again, you can find out more over at loumangelo.com. Thanks, as always, to Becky Mankin, my official and recommended travel provider. Whether you're going to a Disney destination or anywhere in the world, they can help you with free, no-obligation quotes at mousefantravel.com. And little Timmy Foster of celebrationspress.com is continuing to pump out Celebrations Magazine and their special holiday issue as well. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is simply if you like the show, and I hope that you do, Please help spread the word. And the best way to do that is to tweet out a link to this or your favorite episode. Better yet, share a link to your favorite episode and the WW Radio page over on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever you call home. And if you could, take just 30 seconds to rate and review the show. It's incredibly helpful. I want to thank some recent reviewers like C-H-G-W-L-V-S C-H-G I don't even know what that means He says Lou takes us to places We might never get to see In the natural world Or Disney's magical world Fabulous guests Like Disney legends Even his own family For restaurant reviews And listeners Who have joined him on trips Some people he's had on Have had me sitting And listening to every single word Without even moving That's how fascinating they are Especially the Imagineers He treats us as friends Every week It's because you are And I'll save that handshake and hug for you if we ever get to meet at the parks in person. Thank you, Lou. Thank you, CHGWLVS1. I hope to meet you for that handshake and as well. Uh, Cop447 says, this is the absolute best podcast. I've been on a long journey with Lou since finding his first book. Even though I'm an avid Disney fan and parks visitor, I still am always learning new things about the parks that make my next trip that much better. With all the negativity in media today, it's refreshing to find an optimist and upbeat podcast cop 447 thank you i appreciate that i am optimistic i am upbeat because it's who i am and i think we all just like talking about the things that simply make us happy about going to the disney parks and 
Oh, Amanda says it's the only podcast. I legitimately love listening to the beginning and ending bumpers. Wow. As much as I love the content of the show, it's so nice that people listen all the way to the end. Lose passion, friendliness and hard work show off in every minute of the podcast. Thank you for the Disney music that transports me to Walt Disney World, the sweet community of phone calls and the end. And golly, if you've got a friend in me, doesn't get me every single time. Not to mention the wealth of knowledge, history, and future insight into the in the in the actual show. WW Radio is my favorite place to geek out over Disney. Amanda, Cop Four Forty Seven, and CHGWLBS One. Thank you all, and everybody else who has left. A rating or review. Again, you can just search for WW Radio on iTunes or go to wwradio.com slash iTunes for a link and instructions on exactly how to do it. And finally, and most importantly, again, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, in the spirit of the holiday season, the spirit of every day, I am so incredibly grateful to and for you. You have brought me so much joy and happiness simply by virtue of you listening to the show for the tweets and the emails and the messages and the voicemails. And I am incredibly grateful for that. And I hope that whatever it is that you are wishing for, are hoping for, are working for, are dreaming for this holiday season or any time, uh, I hope that you find it. And just remember that sometimes, sometimes that answer that we're looking for comes from someplace that we aren't even looking so always be open to whatever type of possibilities and opportunities Bray present them to you. So be ready, always. Keep moving forward, and I hope that you have your best week ever. Thanks again. See ya. Hey, Lou. It's Christine Morrison calling from Flowertown, PA. Hope you're having an awesome day. I just listened to podcast number 391 about movies we'd like to see made into attractions at Disneyland or Disney World. And I know that this was done in Tokyo, but this would be awesome at the studios. I would love to see a Who Framed Roger Rabbit ride. You could have Benny the Cab driving you through into Toontown, going through that portal. And then you've got the um, Judge Doom coming after you and uh, chasing you down with the weasels. And then you have to save that poor little shoe from being um, eaten up. And then you end the ride by uh, making the weasels laugh and conquering Judge Doom. So that would be pretty awesome. Roger Rabbit is one of my favorites. I miss seeing it in the park. I do know that there is a little nod to Roger Rabbit above the restaurant at the studios. Um, I think it would be an awesome, awesome addition, and I miss seeing it in the parks. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Keep doing what you're doing, and I'll see you in the box. Bye. Hey, Lou. Jared here from Louisiana. Just calling in to say that uh, my family and I have just finished up our uh, four days here in Disney. Spent the afternoon and evening of Sunday in Disney Springs, Magic Kingdom on Monday, Epcot on Tuesday, and we had lunch at Morimoto's today before we left on your recommendation, and it was delicious. Uh, my favorite thing from the whole trip was Spaceship Earth and Epcot. I uh, was definitely looking out for John Adams and the rest of the presidents on the ride. Spotted a few of them. And, uh, yeah, we just had a really great time at Disney. So uh, thank you for the show. 
It's always a wonderful, magical time every week. Appreciate you. And next time I'm here, you will be looking out for a handshake and a hug. Have a good week, y'all. Hey, Lou, this is Michael from Orlando, Florida, and the thing I love most about Walt Disney is that he became something more than he was. While he'll always be known as the guy that created Mickey Mouse, I remember him as someone that came from very humble beginnings and made something of himself and shared it with the world. Thanks for sharing your awesome podcast. See ya! Yeah.